I want to pray like Moses prayed. Uh, show us your glory. Um, we have no glory of our own. You know, all our glory is in you, and we know there's some real depths of your glory here in these scriptures that we want to look at. And so we just entrust this time to you that uh, my words might somehow be your words. And so we just uh, trust in that and uh, just devote ourselves to you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last time we uh, began with a little bit of, uh, is that too loud or it's not? Okay. With a little bit of an introduction to kind of set the stage for uh, this study, which is really looking at creation throughout scriptures and how all of scripture talks about creation in various places. And I went through a little bit of an outline last time. Uh, for sure, the creation account is Genesis 1 to 2, and so we'll spend a little time uh, starting today with that. Um, <clears throat> but creation's talked about, and the end of the universe is also talked about, and so we'll get to that at the, at the end, and after that, we'll talk about how uh, Christ can be seen, not just in the creation account, but in the uh, upholding of all things by the word of his power. So um, <clears throat> I... I did have some more science notes to help set the stage, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so we're just going to jump into the scripture, and then if we need to come back and hit on science, I mean, there's some, some important foundational science things like um, order versus disorder, uh, the law of conservation of energy, which is really means that only God can create this stuff. Uh, the uh, The you know, um, how much greater the supernatural is compared to the natural. I mean, we don't even understand uh, that. Um, I mean, we can, in, in natural science, we can only get so close. Like the Big Bang. It, it's never answered by modern cosmology. Well, where did that infinite energy density come from? They just don't ask it. All they can say is, like I said last time from John Barrow, well, all we really can say is that the universe just started expanding. Great. What insight. So um, there's some real, I guess I want you to appreciate that there's some real depth here and that we don't want to look at this just superficially, but we really want to understand it as, as deep as we possibly can. Um, with no God, which is what modern science really tries to do, is to try to argue God out of the equation. That's where all evolutionary theory comes from, both astrophysical and uh, biological. Uh, with no God, there's just a, a natural origin and somehow sustaining the universe. And really, the only evolution that we see in the universe is not a refining, but a, a, a disordering, uh, you know, entropy, the second law of thermodynamics. Things are running down. That's really all we observe as far as the evolution of the universe. Um, it's interesting that um, modern science sort of uh, lumps together the biblical account, which is ancient, with all these creation myths like the Babylonians and the Sumerians and all this stuff. And, and there's just, I mean, they're fairy tales in comparison to the Genesis 1 account. Here's just one example. Um, the, the Babylonian, and this is... Uh, 
famous scientist, Bertrand Russell, and a philosopher, was talking about this. And he said that um, he was talking about the Babylonian myth. And he says, the earth rides on the back of a lion, on the back of an elephant, on the back of a turtle. And Bertrand Russell was asked, well, what does the turtle ride on? He said, turtles all the way down. <laughs> what a great quote. So, turtles? Really? <clears throat> so, there's a real difference between those accounts and what the, what the scripture has. A little bit of uh, given those accounts and the way modern science has developed, let's look at a couple of scriptures. First, in uh, Job, this is God's perspective, okay? And you can all uh, get a real sense of God's indignance here. Um, in Job 38, let me just read the first seven verses. God speaks now to Job. That's in Job 38. <clears throat> then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And that's the same word as the whirlwind that took up um, Elijah. So there's some connection here of the supernatural. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Um, and then down in um, verse 12, have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? And down to 35 uh, to 36, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or has given understanding to the mind? And then in, um, in chapter 40, skip over to um, 40, just uh, the first few verses here. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add no more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, the whirlwind, same word, and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me, will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? And then uh, lastly in Job, uh, chapter 42, the first six verses, then Job answered the Lord after this whole discourse, which you should read the whole thing, but I'm just hitting some highlights here. And in uh, chapter 42, Starting at verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou can do all things, 
and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. So all this pain throughout Job uh, resulted in Job saying, I have heard of thee by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. And there's some connection to suffering there, but it just shows Job's perspective uh, is that now he sees God more as he is. Um, <clears throat> just a couple of more verses. If you jump over to, and again, this is, again, some, some verses that talk about God's perspective on, on creation. These are all familiar passages, I know, but in Psalm 19, I'll just read that. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The universe didn't just, ah, oh, it just started expanding. Or the universe isn't just, another physicist said, ah, the universe is just something that comes along once in a while. Really? That's real insight. Um, <clears throat> day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, the heavens that we observe. Uh, their line has gone out through all the, all the earth. So we have this witness in the stars. And their utterances to the end of the world. Um, so that's in Psalm 19. If you jump ahead, just a couple of more. Isaiah 66. Sixty six one and two, thus uh, Isaiah sixty six, the first couple of verses. <clears throat> thus says the Lord: Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. That's about as deep as we can get into it. It's supernatural. My hand made all these things. It's not like a natural process that we can analyze and tear apart. And my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to whom is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. And then in Hebrews 11, just the first three verses, and again, a lot of these passages were all I used to study to get at creation in the Scripture because I was afraid of going back to the Genesis account because, boy, there's problems there. It's real. It's deep. I don't understand it. And so I would look, I'll use all these other verses instead. And I finally, like in the early 90s, said, you know, I just got to get into the Genesis account because that's the account. Um, <clears throat> so Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. And this is the key verse here I want you to listen to. 
verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds or ages or something more general were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, supernatural. But look at that at the start of this. By faith, we understand. By faith, it's a lot deeper than just, ah, we've been told, or yeah, we know. By faith is how we understand how uh, more how God made these things. You know, there's a, a, a great Einstein quote that <clears throat> I've appreciated. You know, Einstein, when he was young, went th- through this religious period where he really got into the Torah and uh, almost to the point of being orthodox. I think he was a teenager at the time and uh, really got into th- the, to the um, scriptures here that we're going to talk about, and um, which I think he drew upon in later life, although his later life he didn't really understand or say that God was a person. He's just some, you know, impersonal uh, philosophical God. But this is Einstein quote that I kind of appreciate. I want to know how God created this world. I am not interested in this or that phenomenon, in the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. And this is to one of his students uh, in Berlin at the time. So where are God's thoughts found? It's, it is written. That's where it's found. So <clears throat> a, a great. And a lot, again, I think he was drawing upon his Jewish heritage and what he studied when he was a youngster. Um, <clears throat> which, okay, we're on a roll here for quotes. I've got to give you another quote. Uh, just a little lighter, humorous side. <clears throat> you know, I haven't talked about, you know, how the natural man approaches the expanse or the uh, the, the cosmos. <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> the guy named Edwin, Edwin Hubble was key. We still hear, it's debated still, constantly, the, the Hubble constant or the Hubble um, factor, which is he made this connection with how... Um, you know, lights are, well, the light from the stars is increasingly redshifted. As you go out, it's a linear relationship. Well, he did this at the, at the Mount Wilson Observatory in California. Well, Einstein was visiting. You can see these great pictures of, of Einstein and Hubble standing there. And so Elsa, his wife, was sitting over by herself, and uh, one of Hubble's assistants uh, went over and said, um, your husband's looking through the telescope. Don't you want to see the, the shape of the universe or, or the expanse of the universe? And she said, oh, my husband does that on, a, on an old envelope anyway, which I thought on the back of an old envelope. I thought it was pretty funny, which he used to do, write out these equations. Okay, so <clears throat> first, as we get into the creation account in Genesis 1, some, uh, I always... I always have a lot of preliminaries. Sorry. It's, it's probably because I've listened to John MacArthur too many times, and out of a 45-minute sermon, he'll take 25 minutes to introduce it. So <clears throat> hopefully I won't get that bad. 
But just some things as we read this that, that to keep in mind. Um, one, the Genesis 1 account is prose. It's not poetry. can't be dispelled as some deep, mystical, poetic form. It's prose. You know how I know? If we go to Genesis 2-4, what does it say? This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Plus, it's also a little cheating, but um, in your Bible, when you have poetic, poetic form, it's kind of indented, indented, so you can see it all the way. So this is not, in, so it's, it's, it's prose, it's, it's not poetic. And there, there are some, I mean, Psalm 104, that's a poetic book. doesn't mean it's untrue, it's just not a, a, an, an account in the same sense. And um, we'll talk about Psalm 104 later on, but um, it's a poetic book. doesn't mean it's not truth. But this is not allegory, imagery, figurative, myth, tale, whatever. This is the account of creation. Um, <clears throat> the um, scripture attests to itself as well. Um, I mean, God is the author. Moses is the recorder of the count here. And so let's go to Exodus and just look at a couple of verses. If you look at it, Exodus 20.11. Again, the best commentary on Scripture, the Scripture itself. And so here, the author of Genesis 1, he's here uh, recording this, the Ten Commandments. And what does 20 Hebrew, or Exodus 20.11 say? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so this is part of the covenant. And so this is important. Um, and if you just jump over to Exodus 31... Let me just read that. Exodus 31, uh, 17 and 18 here. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And when he had finished speaking with him uh, on Mount Sinai, God speaking to Moses, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. One thing I forgot to mention is if you, uh, and we'll talk more about this, but the word day versus the word day and a number. Uh, notice we talked about in Genesis 2-4, um, this is the account of the, heavens, of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Now, that word day doesn't have a number, and so it's a more general time frame, like in the period, in, at the time of, or whenever. But the days of creation that we'll look at in Genesis 1, they have numbers. And when they have numbers, they're explicit. Day 1, day 2, meaning either a 24-hour day or a 12-hour period of daylight. <clears throat> 
Now, remember, as we read through this Genesis 1 account, it's, it's an eyewitness account. I mean, who was there? The Trinity was there. Um, and so and, and Jesus as the agent of creation, uh, as the creator and author of the scriptures. Uh, and when it says, and God saw. So it's an eyewitness account. God was there, and he recorded it. Also remember that this is an, an orderly, step-by-step narrative. It's not this um, cosmic fireball, you know, that's this starting with an infinite, you know, um, energy density, which who knows what that looks like. Infinity is not a place. So this, it's not this fireball. It's an orderly account of, of these parts of creation that were created in a very orderly sense, which when you get to Genesis 1-3, it's really important because um, when God said, let there be light, and there was light immediately, I believe that what we see in the cosmic microwave background is the remnant of what's in Genesis 1-3. And uh, when you look at the purity of that signal, which I'll talk about, it just has to be the result of Genesis 1-3. But again, this is not some evolutionary, you know, mass explosion here. And, and you know, it's interesting <clears throat> to make this work. Cosmology has said, well, you know, this uh, cosmic fireball was opaque for the first 380,000 years. And we didn't really see this light until after 330, when, you know, particles, the plasma, became more discrete particles, and then light could escape. And so that's a really randomized thing. Well, when you look at the cosmic microwave background, it's a completely pure signal. If there was this randomized different temperatures and different masses and things in a random explosion, it would be a lot more fragmented and wouldn't wouldn't look the same. So uh, again, it's not chaotic. It's orderly in Genesis 1. <clears throat> so we, as much as we can, when we look at this, we want to take uh, Scripture as recorded by Moses, um, and we want to take it as much as we can at face value. Um, and sometimes to get to meaning, it's gonna, we're going to have to make some inferences. Um, but generally, Scripture supports itself. Um, and so... We want to look a little bit at the original Hebrew words. Sometimes that gives us a little bit of insight. Um, But sometimes we get to an interpretation. What does this mean? And so we'll have to, and I'll be very clear about this, well, this may mean that this. And so um, we'll look at that. So we want to look at this in the context of Scripture. Uh, We want to, if we need to look at other narratives, like from John MacArthur or Somebody will do that and maybe apply a little sanctified scientific reasoning. You guys buy that? No, I wouldn't either. But at least we can look at it logically maybe um, to get to the meaning. Um, And so we'll look at some logical interpolations. What what could this possibly mean Um, from a a standpoint of what's reasonable? And established physical law. There are, it's not all theoretical. I mean, you jump off a tall building, there's gravity. 
So there are some fundamental scientific principles that are proven that we can look at as well. Established physical law. And then if we have to have guesses, you know, this could be or this may mean, then we'll, we'll do that to try to fill out the meaning as much as we possibly can. Um, any questions so far? Ah, what a great class. <laughs> Sir? Which brought them back to something that, yeah, maybe we should look at the biblical account, but we'll just take parts of it, like that there was a beginning. But before that, people did believe it was just eternal, or uniformitarianism, or, um, uh, you know, the steady state theory. I mean, that was the prevalent theory at the time, is that, ah, the universe always was, and the problem is, is the second law of thermodynamics has has a problem with that. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and the two, which, thanks, Jack, leads us to, you know, modern cosmology. What are the two real pillars of large-scale cosmology? The Hubble effect, the Hubble constant with this redshift, and the cosmic microwave background, which was discovered fairly recently, 1965. And so that gave real credence to this hot Big Bang start. But the key was what you said is it that there was, had to be a beginning in that sense. <clears throat> okay, so if you turn to Genesis 1, and really I'm going to mostly talk about uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 19. Um, and so, and actually I'm only going to read the first eight verses now. So if, if you just uh, want to turn there, I'll read Genesis 1, 1 through 8. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. So let's just stop there for now. Um, so one of, the, one of the controversies has been between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Um, for, for years, scientists have tried to reconcile their view with the biblical view by saying, well, there's a big gap. There's a big gap here between 1-1 one, one 
uh, and one, two. And um, turns out that in Hebrew writing, and it was, it was fascinating. In 1989, when, one of the times we lived in Monterey, um, I decided to check out and see if there was a Hebrew professor at DLI up the hill from, from Naval Postgraduate School. And uh, there was one, a guy named Professor Lifshitz, and a uh, great guy. And I called him up and I said, would you have time to sit down and talk about Genesis 1 a little bit? And he said, sure. So I went up there and I think we spent at least an hour, hour and a half. And he pulled out his Torah, you know, and I said, okay, this has seemed controversial, maybe it isn't, but this gap, which you know has created these terms, God of the gaps, and that's how to reconcile six days with millions to billions. Well, there must be this huge million to billion year gap between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. He said, no. The, the style of Hebrew writing is to have uh, an introductory declarative uh, beginning uh, a declarative verse, a summary verse. And so that's the Hebrew style. So Hebrew 1 is just an overall, like what we do is in a lead paragraph in our writing, we'll have a sort of a summary at the beginning of the paragraph. That's what the Hebrew style is, is to have this summary declarative verse at the beginning. That's 1-1. One, one. And so <clears throat> let's look at this summary verse. Um, in the beginning, there's time. This is from notes from John MacArthur. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. Um, and um, that word for created is bara, and it really, the sense of it is just from nothing or complete origination, if you will, uh, from nothing. Uh, originated in the fullest sense of that word, to bring about shape, make, or create, but from nothing. Um, and the word God is the word Elohim, and it's the plural form. Hmm. Kind of like when let us, you know, make God in our image, you know. The, the Trinity is, is at work here. So that's the plural form. Um, question? Yeah, let us make man in our image. But the word, the key is us. Well, us. It's, it's, a, it, it's a plural form. Um, so let's see. Um, at, when we went back to Monterey later on in 96, I really wanted to go up and talk to the professor again. He'd already gone back to Israel. And at the time, they didn't even have any uh, Israeli uh, um, Hebrew professor up there, so I didn't get to talk to him anymore. Um, <clears throat> but it was it was very interesting to talk to him, especially to have him to pull out his Torah and uh, and talk about it. Um, <clears throat> so, is there a gap or not? No. One one is a summary verse. And then if you look at 1-2, uh, what does it say? And, um, and the earth was formless and void. Well, that and is really, in, verse, in Genesis 1-2, is the beginning of the sequential account. And that and refers back to the first verse, which is in the beginning. So and in the beginning, 
and it goes on there in 1-2. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, no, no gap. Summary verse, and then the account begins in 1-2. In um, <clears throat> sort of referring to uh, antecedent, or uh, that, that and refers back to that uh, original in the beginning of 1-1. <clears throat> so, and... In the beginning, the earth, um, as starting here, it's sort of our reference frame. And the earth was formless and void, no form, uncreated and empty. And darkness, and darkness here is just this absolute, abject darkness. It looked like nothing, none of this, we can't really understand these conditions from looking at the universe now. Don't exist now, so we have to kind of jump back and say, okay, with starting with a clean slate here, this is abject darkness, no light. Um, um, so the earth was formless and void, no form, uncreated, empty. And darkness was over, above, and placed above, uh, in position as to cover a surface, the surface of the deep. Um, and the deep here, there's just lots of here that, that, that's really deep, so to speak. Um, the, the way I like to think about this is, so what existed in space at this time? Well, we're not told. But the way I make sense out of this is um, that space in the mind of God might have existed mathematically. Like we could imagine... Euclidean space or Cartesian space, this, this, this coordinate system at 90 degree angles, and it, it's mathematical as opposed to physical. And so maybe n-dimensional Euclidean space existed mathematically. Well, it must have. Uh, and so um, <clears throat> that might have been the state of space, not space-time yet, but space at this point. Um, <clears throat> It's kind of like I had this great discussion with um, one of my math professors in college. Um, I took this, it was really crazy, I took this you know, course that uh, called um, topology or basic analysis, had some innocuous title like that, and it was one of the toughest classes I ever had because it was, we were proving uh, you know, uh, Pythagorean's theorem in higher dimensional space. I thought that was really cool. We're, we're dealing in higher dimensional spaces here. And so, I, I know, low threshold of entertainment. But, you know, as a junior in college, it was, it was pretty cool. And the book was really thin, too. So I thought, oh, this will be a piece of cake. No. <clears throat> um, and, and the professor's name was Dr. Dorse. And I remember I went to his office one day. I said, you know, professor, we've been doing all these proofs, theorems of you know, proving Pythagorean's theorem, these higher dimensional spaces, do they exist? They exist mathematically. But, but do they exist? They exist mathematically. And so after about a half an hour of this, I, I, I finally got the idea. Well, it, it's sort of the ontology, if you will, of what exists, what is, you know, and, you know, that space-time exists mathematically. And so, um, great guy, I really, 
liked him a lot. He was real patient. It's a good thing I would have probably failed the class. But. And, and the grade spread in that class was really interesting. There was one A, two Bs, two Cs, two Ds, two Fs, four or five Es, withdrawals, whatever. I got one of the Bs. So I felt like I got out of there with my life. But it was really, really kind of fun, actually. So, um, so the surface of the deep, you know, um, I guess you could think of it as a surface is a two-dimensional geometric figure within a three-dimensional space, okay? So this surface is a lower-dimensional space compared to three-dimensional that we sort of walk around and, and understand. So again, trying to get at what God is saying here, the surface of the deep, maybe uh, unexpanded space at this point. Um, and so, or you could say unexpanded expanse because it hasn't been made yet. Uh, so some sort of kernel of space-time is what we're talking about here. <clears throat> and the Spirit of God was moving, hovering, sort of, and uh, that word hovering, and there's a verse in Deuteronomy that talks about it, is sort of uh, an indication of energy, you know, uh, oscillating energy maybe um, with, with the Holy Spirit hovering over this little kernel of space-time. Uh, Deuteronomy 32.11 talks about that a little bit, um, <clears throat> hovering or moving over. Um, and so uh, the Spirit of God was moving, hovering over the surface of the waters. And so surface, again, is a lower-dimensional space. So imagine the surface of a sphere as opposed to the three-dimensional sphere. Um, <clears throat> so surface of the waters... Surface of the deep, there's a real parallel there. That's the same word, surface. And um, again, deep, we'll just have to try to come to grips with that geometrically. Uh, I know they're connected. Um, <clears throat> so, again, surface implies some sort of a finite closed, which would make sense if the expanse hasn't been made yet. So, <clears throat> surface of the waters and surface of the deep. Um, so, which brings us to the question of what does waters mean? Well, this is probably a two-week um, analysis just of waters. But it looks like, and again, this is a little bit of surmising on my part, but it looks like that term waters is not simple H2O water, because it's plural. And plus, what does it say in, um, in 6? Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. What the heck? You know? I mean, what, what's really going on here? Well, it looks like there's a lot more depth to that word waters than just H2O water. And I don't completely understand it, but it can't just be terrestrial water if we're talking about a, a separation here that the expanse. So water's above the expanse, seriously? So there's something a little deeper there. Um, it can't just be terrestrial water in terms of ice, liquid water, or steam. Um, 
And there's some other verses like Job 26.10 talks about, and he inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters. That may talk specifically about the beginning here. Um, the Lord is over many waters. Uh, Psalm 148.4 says, waters that are above the heavens. Same word, waters. Above the heavens. So we're just not talking about simple terrestrial water. So that's something to ponder. Can't be dogmatic, but at least to try to come to grips with what is going on here. Before the expanse, we need to try to, to understand it. Um, or um, Jeremiah 10.13 and 51.16 says, A tumult of waters in the heavens. What? That's really what we're talking about here. Tumult being some sort of a disturbance or perturbation. Um, <clears throat> so, again, this is trying to come to grips, you know, with a sort of, a, again, sanctified scientific reasoning here. What could this possibly be? Well, I don't know. But a possibility is that these could be, we know that um, <clears throat> the, the universe had to be with the Holy Spirit spirit hovering over here, there was probably some density and some temperature. So that could refer to a sort of a plasma. You know, what's, what's the fourth state of matter? A plasma. I'm not talking about blood plasma here. Fourth state of matter is a plasma, which is 90% of the universe. Did you know that? You know, the states of matter that we're familiar with on Earth, the three, uh, that's really, you know, a minority compared to plasma. Because in the internal part of stars, that's all plasma. And stars are the biggest individual objects in the universe. It's plasma. Very, very, very high temperature. And so it could be some connection between a plasma at very high temperature and quantum fields, which I'm not going to go into. I, I value my marriage more than that. Um, I've been avoiding looking at you, dear, so a lot of this. Um, so quantum fields, we still don't completely understand them. And they, guess what? They end up in infinities most of the time. Oh, great. But that kind of relates to this, doesn't it? Uh, so maybe quantum fields, which are a, quantum, a complicated object, which really contains all of physics, you know, and what is a quantum field? A large number of interacting particles. Um, and so um, in this case, it would just be photons at this beginning kernel. So maybe waters here refers to primordial quantum fields. I don't know. But it's pre-existing matter in some form. Hi, Jack. What? Yeah, that... Yeah, I, I, that kind of fits with what we're, what we're saying. Um, and his is not my word like fire. You know, he says in another place in Jeremiah. So there, there, I think there's some connections here that are way deep, and uh, we have to try to bring them together if we can. So pre-existing matter, energy, space-time fields, I don't know. Um, so we could just say that one possibility for Genesis 1-2 is waters as primordial quantum fields, precursor 
matter and energy, if you will, because none of this had really been created yet. We don't have an expanse. We don't have anything yet in Genesis 1-2. There's nothing. That's what Genesis 1-2 tells us. Um, I think we'll uh, stop there. Any questions? Yeah, thanks. I have a bunch, too. Porter, you laughed, so. So what we'll pick up, yes, Gwen. Right. There's nothing in the created universe yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on, Gwen. Um, so I'll talk, we'll, we'll, when we pick up next time, I'll talk a little bit more about Genesis 1-2, and that leads into Genesis 1-3, which is, uh, there's some, just some great, um, sort of been the story of my research life, is looking at Genesis 1-3 and this, this cosmic microwave background, which is really a witness to God. It's not one of the pillars of modern cosmology. It's one of the pillars of Genesis 1. So uh, we'll look at that next time. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your shepherding us through this, the depth of your mind in creation and, and, and you know how magnificent it is. And to see just a glimpse of your glory is amazing, Father. And so we just thank you for even being able to tread a little bit in this deep water uh, we appreciate and we are completely reliant upon your Holy Spirit leading us through this and, and, uh, and um, sharing with us so that we might understand more about um, your Genesis 1 account. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.